get upset about this one. The, the word dates back to the 1500s. It's not a modern slang word. It actually has a, an old meaning. But the word is crapulous. Like fabulous. Except, you know. Uh, and here's what it means. Uh, it relates to feeling unwell. Particularly not feeling well after indulging in too much eating or drinking. There you go. Ice cream social, you might say, after that ice cream social, you know what, uh, that's how I feel. Here's the other one, elf lock. Elf lock means morning hair. It, it's an ancient word, it goes back to the notion that while you were sleeping, guess what, elves came and tangled your hair up. And so, uh, elf lock, some of you clearly know what that means this morning. <laughs> and the last one I want to share with you is wonder wench, wonder wench. And that's an ancient word for sweetheart. So work that in next Valentine's, guys. <laughs> Dear Wonder Wench. Uh, <laughs> words come and go, don't they? And one word that we seem to maybe have forgotten, or at least in Christendom that uh, we, we have laid by the wayside, is the word repentance. We've talked so much uh, over many decades about the love of God and the free gift of God. And certainly, the Bible uses exactly that language, that, the salva that salvation is the free gift of God. We don't need to shy away from that. But in a, kind of a reaction to legalism, or in a, re a response to works-based theology, uh, have we swung the other way where words like repentance are strange to us now. In Psalm 51, the man David has written here a psalm that can only be described as a, a psalm of repentance or a cry for healing. Here's what's happened. The story comes from 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to turn there and, and read you just a little bit of this, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. You can turn there if you like. Listen to this little story. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him to eat. I'm adding that, but this is for a meal. He didn't want to take one of his own, he, although he had many, flock, herd. But he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as, Yahweh li as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, or he'll pay, he'll pay it back four times as much. 
because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You are the man. Why? Because of what David had done with a lady named Bathsheba. Him the king of Israel. Him the, the rich man with flocks and herds and, and, and wives. And, and he looked across and he saw the wife of a soldier in his army who was out to battle where David should have been, I might add. And he called her to himself and he committed the sin of adultery with her. And she became pregnant. David schemed a, a scheme to call back Uriah, this, this commander, this officer in the army, to call him back home so that they might have a few nights together and perhaps uh, through, through their interaction that the, the pregnancy, the adultery rather, would be concealed. It didn't work out. Uriah was a man of character. He said, how am I supposed to, to, to go enjoy time at home while my men are out in the field, and he himself slept with the servants, alongside the servants. He slept alongside the servants because he would not uh, have that double mind about him. So the plan failed, and David reached out to his commander in the field and said, see to it that Uriah does not come back alive. And he did not. Adultery and murder. Nathan tells this story of the little ewe lamb, the little treasure. And he points to David and said, you're the man. And so in the aftermath of this, in light of this, David writes Psalm 51. And it is a tale of all our sin. Listen, don't think that that sounds pretty big. I mean, I've never committed adultery and murder. I want you to know that uh, in our iniquity and in our sinfulness, all of us bears the pointing of the finger, thou art the man. The, the finger points here just the same. This is a tale and a psalm for us all. And it is a psalm for those who have never come to terms with their sin and come to Christ for the very first time and called out to the cross of Calvary for salvation. That's for you today. But friends, it's for me and you as well who have believed and walked with Christ maybe for some time. We Oh, a repentance to God for our sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so let's read this together. Psalm 51. Hear the, hear the emotion in this. Hear the desperation. Hear the humanity in it. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. It's as if David has nothing of himself to offer here. I mean, he, he, all he can lean on is the, the steadfast love and the abundant mercy of God may carry him here. That's the only hope for mercy. There's nothing in himself. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin, exclamation point. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You ever felt like that? I mean, day to day, moment to moment, you know those transgressions, they're ever before you. Your head hits the pillow at night, they're on your mind. 
your, 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 your heart is crushing. You wake up in the morning, you remember instantly. Your iniquity, your sin, it's ever before you, he says. ever before me, he says. He knows his transgressions. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a, an herb that happened to have real hairy, you know, uh, features to it that they would dip into water to uh, ceremonially cleanse. Or they may dip it into blood as a part of the sacrificial cleansing atonement ritual purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice there's a weight to sin isn't there I mean, it, it, there is a, a crushing weight that sin brings upon us and in this part of the scripture we see it very clearly he feels a stain a deep stain that he wishes to be clean, cleansed from. He, he has not had joy or gladness. He's had sadness and sorrow. He wants to return to that. The bones that have been broken, broken by whom? By the weight of, of God. Sometimes we say, you know, God's not the source of our pain. Well, are there times when in our sin that God comes along and drives us toward repentance? Let the bones that you have broken Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. God, don't see me this way. I am this way. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's look at this together. What does repentance look like? If it's so important, what does it look like? The first picture here we see is this. It looks like this. It looks like accepting that we bring nothing in exchange for God's forgiveness. Accepting we bring nothing in exchange for God's forgiveness. Verses 1 and 2 bear this out clearly. David seems to understand that he has nothing to put on the table. That there's nothing he brings to the transaction. Nothing to entice God to do this thing that he needs, nothing to bargain with. He's asking God for something that he has nothing to attract God with to do that thing. We were by a candy store recently. If you go to Dahlonega or maybe up to the beach sometimes, you'll see these little stores full of candy where the candy's all out in baskets and you've got, they've got a big scoop there and you, you can scoop the candy into the bag. And with how things are in our hiring crisis now with uh, hardship for finding employees, they had a sandwich board sign out on the road and uh, by the candy store. And we were walking by it as a family. And here's what the sign said. It said, now hiring. Uh, no dress code. You can wear whatever you want there. Work there, I guess. Great managers. It used to just be enough to have a manager, right? They didn't have to be great. And guess what? They weren't. Uh, the, it was just 
you had a manager, you did what they said, that's the manager. No, no, no. It's not good enough anymore. They've got to be great managers. $250 starting bonus. Just for saying, yes, I'll work here. $250. Bucks. $17 an hour. Now, that made me stop for a minute. I have to be honest. $17 an hour to work at the candy store. And the last thing it said was, guess what? Free candy. I have to confess to you, I applied uh, while we were there. <laughs> they may be calling you for a reference, Mark. Uh, so, Just kidding, I didn't. Uh, but... They got to bring all this to the table, don't they? I mean, it's so hard. We need people to. We need people to work. Uh, we've got to have. We're having to close early. We're having to open late. We're having to go to to to, to only you know four days a week. But we we've, we need people. And in order to get you, guess what? We're going to get free candy. Seventeen bucks an hour. Two hundred fifty dollars. We know how the we know how the negotiation works. And David, you might think, would come to God and say, Lord. I've been a good man. Lord, I, I've, I've been better than, the, than, than Saul. You remember Saul, Lord. You did uh, take your Holy Spirit away from him. Lord, I've been better than Saul. Or Lord, look at the good that I have done. I know this thing with Bathsheba, but Lord, the influence that I have from my position. Lord, look on me with favor. Forgive me. He doesn't do anything like that he understands that we bring nothing to exchange for god's for, for god's forgiveness if you've been in the church all your life and you've counted on the fact that your grandma went here or that you've, you've got a big uh, family headstone across the street or that the cornerstone right out here in this front porch uh, the architect was was your grandpa and his name is etched in marble there listen we bring nothing we bring nothing in exchange for God's forgiveness. David says, have mercy, mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That's the only, that's, there's, if there's any way that God maybe would have mercy on me, it only will be according to who he is, according to his character. Sin, iniquity, transgressions are all named in the first few verses there. His, his, his deterioration is thorough. It's full. It's, com it's complete. There's nothing left. There's a picture of God here too. Notice this. Notice that all the effort here is on God's part. All the action words in this are on the part of God. And all the action is justified by the character of God. In fact, the very word mercy here means to stoop to, to, to go down to the level of someone who is inferior, to show kindness, and particularly it has reference to a beggar, someone that, that you might bend down to, not because of them, but because of you, because you've decided to. There's nothing that David can offer here. The book of Isaiah says this in chapter 64, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That means the, the, high, the, the best, the, the righteousness is like filthy rags compared to God's holiness. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We're sinners. I had a parent talk to me this summer 
about a child who had gone to a Christian camp and they got home and the mom noticed on the card there the, the, the child had written, you know, I need forgiveness for this and, you know, his, my heart has been this way and, you know, this has been my attitude and I, I need to confess this. The counselor in the cabin had written notes underneath it and here's what the notes said. The mom saw the notes and was thrilled. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, she's, she's got a terrible attitude. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but anyway, said so she's got a, I mean, she, thank goodness she's, she's confessing. She's sensitive. The, the counselor, cabin counselor, had wrote this. You're the best. Just be confident. Be true to yourself. Listen, the truth is this. Our true selves are the problem. Our true selves are in deep, deep trouble. And it is okay for us to come to God in repentance. But secondly, the picture of repentance is this, recognizing how deeply we're buried beneath our guilt. This is a kind of a hard sermon. I, I understand that. But, but we, repentance means recognizing how deeply we're buried beneath our guilt. Here's what the psalmist says in verses Three through five, there are two pair of verses here that each of them goes together. In verse three and four, uh, there's a personal accountability before a personal judge. Notice this, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. That doesn't mean he didn't sin against Bathsheba or against Uriah, but it really means what anybody else says doesn't matter. If everybody says, oh, it's fine, everybody kind of cheats on their husband or their wife. I mean, that's kind of a common thing. Don't worry about that against you and you only have. A, everybody fudges on their taxes a little bit. And, and, you know, everybody talks this way and looks at these things. And, you know, it's not a big deal against you and you only have I sinned. And David recognizes in my sin is accountable to my God. There's an accountability, a personal sin problem here. But verses 5 and 6 say this. And watch this carefully. He says, behold, basically, here's what he's saying. Uh, from the moment I was conceived, from the moment that spark of life sprang into those cells in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. Because I come from a long line of sinners. I was sinful from birth, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm a sinner because I sin. And I'm a sinner because I come from sinners. And sin is in me. And here's what he says. He says, behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Here's the message. that It's in the deep places you care about. Here's where you delight in truth, Lord. In the deepest places places formed within me you you want me to know wisdom in the secret heart those are the very places that sin took life within me when I was being conceived I was a sinner how desperately lost are we that our sin is before us and we're accountable to God alone no matter what everybody else says and also that we were formed in the deepest places in sin and those are the very places that God delights in what? Truth. We're helpless. We're broken. The situation 
is desperate. Somebody called me this week about a man that you may know and said he's having a hard time and he's had two heart attacks since last I had heard and um, had to call the paramedics the other day. He called them and he's in the hospital right now. This lady who, had, who called me and informed me of this said that when, she, when he called the paramedics, finally, desperate, that he crawled through the house to the front porch and waited for them on the front porch because his house was such a mess. In fact, more than a mess. In fact, his house was deplorable. She said, I went to feed his dogs for him. And when I came back home, I took off my clothes and disposed of them. And she described the house to me. I won't go into it, uh, but it's unthinkable, the condition of the house. And for those who needed to come help him, he didn't want them to see that. So he crawled out to the front porch, crawled, and waited there so they wouldn't see what was behind the door. He needed them. We need the Lord. We need salvation. We need forgiveness. And when the Lord looks into our lives, when he looks behind the door, he sees corruption and degradation. He sees sin and iniquity that is unimaginable. The very secret heart, the very inner being where God wants to do his business with us is so defiled that he has no part in that. We need a Savior And we need him desperately. We need to, repentance means recognizing how deeply we're buried beneath our guilt. This is not a minor situation. This is not something we can clamber out of. This is not that a shot in the arm is going to take care of. We don't need improvement. We don't need marginal gains. We don't need a better dad or a better father, a better employee, a better money manager. You may need those things, but at first... What you need is salvation. We are deeply, deeply buried beneath our guilt. Our sin is an inescapable problem. There is no avenue of retreat. There is no clever concealment. There is no alternative arrangement. If you want to be forgiven and made right with God and heaven-bound, sin must be taken away. The inward being and the secret heart have got to be transformed. So the last picture of repentance here is turning to the source of new life. David doesn't leave it that way. He dares to ask these things. He comes to the point where uh, he just asks God to purge him with hyssop, to, to cleanse him and to wash him. There's a stain there. He needs the Lord to, to come about. And he confesses here that, that this will only happen not with any uh, simple ritual, but with God doing something transformative, cleansing, I mean, creating in him a clean heart. Something new has to happen. The old cannot be spruced up. You can't slap a necktie on it. The Lord has got to come in and bring new life. That's why the Bible says that we must be, what, born again. There has to be a new birth that comes for our sins to find forgiveness requires something sto- so extreme that only new creation will do. In my hometown, East Ridge, Tennessee, as kids, teenagers really, 
Erica and I drive up and down the road, Ringgold Road in Eastridge, and we love checkers. Anybody know checkers? Okay. They had good hamburgers. They had those fries with kind of the crustiness on the outside, if you know what I mean. It's just delicious. They had cheap, cheap milkshakes. You get milkshakes there for cheap right down the road from our school, and we'd go to checkers. And one day we drove to checkers, and checkers was torn to the ground. I mean, nothing was left there, just a vacant lot. We thought, well, I guess checkers went out of business, right? We came back a, you know, a few weeks later, I don't know. Checkers was rebuilt. Exactly the same. It was not new and improved. It wasn't bigger. There wasn't more little drive-up spaces. Uh, exactly the same shape and footprint. The tables were the same. We thought, what, why did they do that? And really what occurred to me is, what awful thing has happened inside that checkers? <laughs> that they couldn't just remodel it or, or bring in a cleaning crew. There wasn't enough bleach in the world to just spray. I mean, they had to just tear it down and start over. Like, what, what nasty event. <laughs> what did they find in there, you know, um, inside that checkers? And here's a picture of salvation for you and me. Repentance is not only knowing the, the depth of our situation, but it is turning, not only turning from our sin, but turning to the very and only one who can do something about it. And it is not enough to go to God and to play little games with him. The only thing that brings this new life in Christ is that he would create in you a new heart, that he would take the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that he would, uh, he would bring new birth and new life to your experience. That is the only thing that brings salvation, and there's only one who can do it. We'll be baptizing here in a couple of weeks. We're going to take somebody up in that water, we're going to stand them there, and we're going to bury them beneath the water. Their old, their old self, symbolically in those waters, we're going to show the death of that oldness, of that sinfulness, and we're going to rise them up in the likeness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, new life brought about by God. If you've ever only gone to God for anything less than the absolute cleansing from sin that results from rebirth of new life, in Jesus Christ, then salvation eludes you this morning. I don't want anybody here to go to the Lord one day in face-to-face, -face, in person, as you cross that inevitable threshold into eternity, and God looks at you as judge, and you say, well, I did eat the ice cream, Lord, at the social. I was there, Lord, at Poplar Springs. You know them, don't you? Lord, I had a favorite coffee out here at the coffee bar. Of all the coffees, I liked the, the morning blend, Lord. It, I was a regular there. They knew me. Lord, I helped with the men's ministry. We helped clean up that lady's yard, Lord. I mean, do you remember that, God? The Lord looks at you and has to say, Listen, have you ever come to me in repentance? Have I ever dealt with your sin? Did the blood of the cross ever wash away your iniquity? Did the power of the empty tomb ever transform your life? And you have to say, well, no. 
but the vanilla was really good. It's not enough. It's, a pain, it's painfully, it's tragically not enough. Why would you go to God for anything less than absolute cleansing from sin? That's what David did. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Lord, if you do it, it's a reality. I shall be. Wash me and Lord, that deep, deep stain won't only be restored, it'll be whiter than snow. I told the kids this morning from John six sixty eight. Simon Peter answered the Lord. Jesus asked him, are you going to go away too? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Today, Jesus brings again to us the words of eternal life. He comes to us with another example, with another offer of, of cleansing. I think that's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. That once again, if, if, it's, if it's in your hearing today, that once again, man or woman, boy or girl, he is appealing with you. We are pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And the appeal is on the table from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't you go to him again? He has the words of eternal life. Let me pray for us. just a moment I'm going to offer you a time of response there is nothing no power no force no pressure no fear that is worth holding on to and keeping you from Jesus today you may have been a member of this church for many years you think, if I walk the aisle for salvation now, if I go to the waters of baptism now, then everybody will think I was a fraud. Who cares? This is Jesus we're talking about. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Why not you come to him today? Brother and sister in Christ, I know what it's like to have unrepentant sin in your life. Pretending, making a show falsehood but it's always before you it's, it's always in front of your eyes when you sleep and you wake you know there's something wrong you need to come to the Lord you need to give that sin to Him you need to ask not only for forgiveness but for deliverance out of it be done with that this morning this morning the floor is open for you to respond in any way that the Lord has spoken to you to come maybe you'd come for church membership this morning or maybe you would seek believers baptism We'll be doing that in just a couple of weeks. Love to have you a part of it. Heavenly Father, I pray that your voice will have spoken this morning. In these final moments, you will not cease to speak. But Lord, you'll call men and women to yourself, to repentance, to renewal. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, you can respond. 